Hello, everyone, and we are live for episode 50 of the Fitness Business Growth Podcast. I'm here with Jackson Millen. How are you, mate? I'm doing really well, my friend. How's things? Mate, to be honest, I'm scared. So me and Jackson were talking offline before. I go to Cairns tomorrow, and for anyone playing at home, there's a Category 5 cyclone on the way. And, mate, I don't watch the news, so my partner told me about it. I'm like, ah, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, and then I come with you, and it's doomsday. It is, mate. Yeah. So I live an hour south of Cairns. We've got a, a 70 acre animal sanctuary and we've been up Man, in three and a cool. half years, haven't had a cyclone. So this is our first one. So we're a little bit yeah. nervous, but um, uh, yeah, sh- she'll be right as, uh, as yeah. the, the good old Aussies say. I'm sure mate, you'll have a ball, I, mate. Uh, I've, I've got to ask you, mate, have you been to Gilligan's? Uh, I haven't. No, I'm, I'm not a drinker. don't party. So I haven't been to Gilligan's, mate, but I've heard, I've heard, I've heard wild stories. Mate, it's it's where I went for my bucks party. It is an experience of a lifetime. Like, you, like if you if you don't want to save money, go to Gilligan's. I've heard many yeah. stories, mate. Those days are well yeah. behind me. I tell you. Yeah. Well, mate, I want to thank you for your time. Do I think you came on the podcast? We're all connected by by Brian. Um, and it's our fiftieth episode of Fitness Business Growth. We started twelve months today, so you are our final guest of the year, final of season one. And I cannot think of a more important topic, a topic that is often overlooked. We focus on cost per lead, cost per booking, cost per sale, cost per acquisition, but where does the money go? <laughs> like, and at the end of the day, obviously we want to have an impact as fitness business owners, but we want to provide for our families. And the idea that you're going to sell your business for a big amount of money, I think is potentially a fallacy. And I think we can have the best of both worlds, which is like having a great business, investing in your business, but also setting yourself up for the future. So that, mate, super important. Can't wait to get into it. So Jackson, if I met you at a party, first time, what do you do? How do you introduce yourself? Yes. So I'm Jackson Milan. I'm also known as the Wealth Mentor and uh, I help service-based business owners maximize their profit and systematically turn their profit into wealth so they can create financial freedom faster. And uh, my, my story starts with my parents. My parents were business owners. Mum was a hairdresser. Uh, dad was a tradie. They were both very, very good at what they did. They loved helping people. They loved their craft, but they suck with money. And uh, for my entire childhood, all I, I could remember was us living hand to mouth. We always had a roof over our head. We always had food on the table, but there was never any excess. There was never any surplus. Mm. And my parents always said to me, like, if you want to be successful in this world, you've got to work hard for it. And I always kind of thought, well, that's a bit weird because we don't have anything. Like, we're always part of that uh, that little group of, of kids and their families whenever there was kind of like excursions or camps or stuff that we'd have to go on payment plans. And with, my parents always struggled to try and give me freedom and flexibility to have a normal childhood. And I yeah. discovered that the problem was with my parents, like many people, that they were working for money as opposed to money working for them because I didn't know any other mm. way. So I started yeah. training to become a financial advisor when I left school and I've become pretty disheartened because I, I realized that the financial advice industry only wanted to make wealthy people wealthier and they couldn't really give a fuck about people like my parents and they just wanted to sell them commission-based products, which were never going to get them where they wanted to go. So yeah. I almost quit. But as I was about to mate, leave the I'm, door- I was going to jump in there, mate. You just retold sure. my childhood story. So like my parents were dirt poor, loved them. Gave me a good childhood. I look back on it fondly. But one of the most traumatic experiences of my life, mate, was the year seven excursion where all the high schools combined, we meet, we go at a camp. It's how you make friends. It was like a hundred bucks and they couldn't afford it. And I couldn't go on it. And it was so hard to make friends in high school, mate. And it's like my biggest driver is like, I just want to give my kids a good life. Like not that I had a bad mm. life, of course, but like I want to just like, I remember car rego was a stressor for my parents. I was playing AFL and basketball. I had to choose one and I just want to give my kids the options, mate, to do what, whatever they want. 
Yes, and, and that's what drives most people, right? And the unfortunate part is that school doesn't do us any favours. Like that, that, did you learn any valuable lessons about money at school, mate? Yeah, not allowed to talk about money at the dinner table. Can't talk about it. And we learn through osmosis of observing our parents. And if our parents aren't good at money, then this creates this generational cycle. And that was basically my mission to break. And really, over the course of the last 15 years of working in this space, I've helped my clients build over $2 billion in combined wealth. And I focus on teaching sorry, people big, Sorry, billion with, billion with a B? Billion with a B. That's correct. All right. So, yeah, mate, so you were saying you were, disheartened with, you were disheartened with financial services because yes. it was mainly focused on making the rich richer. Can you yes. expand on that? Like why, why was the institution, why was it set up that way and it wasn't targeted towards helping the everyday Australian effectively achieve the Australian dream? Yeah, it's a great question. So what I thought financial advice was heading into it was helping people with strategic planning, goal setting, um, creating a roadmap to get them from where they are to where they want to go. But in reality, the vast majority of wealth managers were only interested in what they called assets under management because their fee model was a percentage of those assets under management. So they might charge 1% to 2% of a portfolio. And if you've got 10 grand, then it's not worth their time. They're typically chasing people who've got a million dollars plus. And I immediately yeah, so saw that as clear, a massive Sorry, just to be clear for the audience. So if someone has a million dollars in assets under management, the, yeah. the broker would get 1%, i.e. they'd make... Yeah. $10,000 for managing, yep. they'd have 10 clients, they make 100 grand, they're happy. And then mum and pa were forgotten about. Correct. And usually they've got 100 or so clients. So um, you can only expect how much service that those people are getting. They typically catch up with their client once a year uh, for what they call mm. an annual review. And I don't know about you, mate, but there's lots that happens in a year and <laughs> having an annual review doesn't quite cut it. So the, yeah. the model was fundamentally flawed and, and, and I, I quite frankly, I hated it. And I realized I needed to build something to do it the way that I saw it to happen. And, and it's interesting, mate, because Mitch and I actually saw a financial plan of this year and we have started to create wealth. And it's now the question of like, well, where do we put it? And I spoke to this guy and I was referred to him. I sat down with him for an hour and like all good salespeople, I was like, hey, is this the ASX? Is this the SNP? Like, where's it going? And like, I thought like, I don't know you from a bar of soap. I've just met you and you're asking me to invest my entire super. Like, I, I'm not doing that. <laughs> like, it was really scary. Like, like, cause like, it's not my area of expertise, right? Like, I can make money, but not sure what to, what to do with it. And Mitch and I walked away feeling like, yeah, disheartened. Like, like, do we just leave it in like the Australian super? Do we leave it in the ASX? For those who don't know, that's like a very, very safe uh, ETF combination of Australian companies that typically produce. I don't want to get too in the weeds here, mate. So I'll let you take over. You're on the right track, mate. And, and this is the big issue, right? The the big challenge is that most financial advisors do exactly that. They advise. They don't coach. And this is where why I started calling myself a wealth coach is because as we're getting started, because we're not taught this stuff, we need somebody to wrap their arm around us and say, "Hey, let me show you the journey. Let me teach you the ropes." Let me help you understand the fundamentals that you were never taught so you can develop a certain level of the language. So then if you choose mm. to outsource certain functions, you can at least do, for, do so from a position of knowing. And most yeah. advisors are just going to say, hey, hand over your money. Let me just deal with it. You sign a few forms here and there, and I'll take care of it all for you, which frankly means that you now rely on that individual to hopefully yeah. do the right thing. But without them, you can't get those outcomes anymore. Or there's countless stories. You've only got to do a Google search to see the amount of so-called advisors 
that have got run away with the money and done horrible things. So I think what's yeah. important here is that particularly as a business owner, no one's ever going to love your money like you do and you can't abdicate responsibility. You need to learn how to manage it for yourself and then choose who you partner with to help you then continue to grow and scale Yeah, 100%. Uh, uh, it's, it was such a big decision for Mitch and I. I'm like, I don't like, if you lose all of our money, like people have died for less. <laughs> like, like it's so incredibly serious and it's not something that can be done on a whim. And not that he was using financial jargon that I didn't understand, but like he couldn't give me like a very direct answer. Hey, I'm going to put X percent into here based sure. on the last 10 years. Like it was just, it was like a one hour appointment to make one of the biggest decisions of my life. Hmm. Yeah, it's not good enough, is it? No, it's not. It's interesting too, mate. Like my parents used to say something like, my dad lost all his money in the 2008 financial, uh, 2008 crash, but he never actually got down to specifics. Like, well, what did you lose? How much did you lose? It would have bounced back. I know that now, but he just, mm. it was a belief he had that like he was ruined by 2008. So let's talk a little bit about this money mindset because this is critically important and most people don't talk about this. So in my philosophy that we've created, and I call it the, the wealth mastery machine, it's essentially a financial operating system that helps people proactively manage their money using rules, systems, and frameworks. And the first pillar of what we do is all about money mindset because we're not taught this stuff. And I believe that finance is broken into really three components. There's the tactics. There's the things that you could do. There's the stocks that you could pick or the investments that you choose, right? And the nitty gritty stuff. Then there's the strategy, right? And the strategy is how we bring these tactics together into a cohesive system that gets you from where you are to where you want to go. But then the unspoken part is the operating system, which is your money mindset. And the reality is all of us in business and personal finances and in life will never outgrow our invisible ceilings. And unless we acknowledge those invisible ceilings and we work to try and lift the lid, but then we're always going to butt up against them, right? And this is why I've seen time and time again, you could give people all of the strategies, all of the tactics, but they still won't follow through because yeah. they haven't addressed the operating system. And what yeah. you just mentioned there, one of the common misconceptions is that people believe investing in the stock market is risky, right? I believe every asset class has pros and cons. But the global financial crisis is a great example where the market fell, depending on where you were investing, between 40 and 60%, which is pretty scary, right? And sure, some of those companies did go broke. The vast majority of them didn't. They just fell in value. And what that basically means is that is a paper loss, you physically haven't lost money until you sold those assets down. Of course. And yeah. that's what a lot of people did. They didn't recognize their own cognitive biases, their own real relationship with risk versus return. And frankly, yeah. they couldn't stomach the drop and they didn't see the upside off the back end and they, they couldn't weather the storm. And as yeah. Warren Buffett famously says, you've got to be fearful when others are greedy and you've got to be greedy when others are fearful. And uh, this is a lot of the money mindset yeah. we work on with our clients. I think just like the ability to talk about money at the dinner table. Like I never knew what my parents earned. Like that was like a big dirty secret that no one talks about. And I remember I, I read Unshakable, Tony Robbins, and it was a story about a mailman that invested 200 a week from the age of 18 to 30. And by the time he was 65, he was a multi, multi millionaire. Like why isn't every single person on earth taught that? <laughs> like, like, why is that not in the first book you read at school? Like, it's just amazing the lack of, not, like, do a compound calculator just, just once, just for fun. And here's the interesting thing, mate, that you're right. People should be taught this. 
But even if they were, most people aren't conditioned or invested in their future self. Most, The vast majority of people do not have the intrinsic motivation to defer gratification into the future. And there's actually an experiment I wrote about in my first book called the Marshmallow Experiment, which basically proved that two out of three people are unable to defer gratification in, into the medium and long term. And this is where I actually built my philosophy and the reason why we exclusively work with business owners, because the vast majority of wealth creation principles are built on the basis that you must shrink yourself wealthy. So in short, mm. for me to be wealthy in the future, for me to have multi-million dollars so I can retire, I need to sacrifice and compromise today. Now, I don't know about you, mate, but that doesn't sound very exciting, does it? I, I am never giving up my coffee. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Ever. Right? You've got to keep eating that smashed avo on toast, mate. And, um, and yeah, this is the 100%. thing I hate about because all of these wealth gurus talk about, oh, you've got to budget. You've got to cut your expenses. You've got, to, you've got to be prepared to sacrifice. And sure, there's certain times where you do need to sacrifice, but I believe that you can have your cake and eat it too as long as you plan for it. Because for most people, mm. it's not an absence of the means that is the issue. It's the absence of the planning. That if they want to, if you want to live this amazing lifestyle, that you can have the coffee in the morning, you can enjoy the trips to Cairns. Hopefully, when there's no cyclones, and when mm. you want to go on a nice holiday and buy yourself clothes or do the things that you want to do, and you want to buy your house, you want to build wealth, you want to create passive income, we just need to define those things, then reverse engineer that into a profit target to your business. And the great thing about this is that now I can tell you, okay, how much revenue do you need to produce? How many leads do you need? What, what are all of the activities required in order for you to get this outcome that really motivates you? And when we connect those two things together, it's rocket fuel. And this is why we get our clients such yeah. amazing results. Can I dive into that, mate, in regards to Please. what people actually want? And I think that's a tough discussion to have in the first place. Like, do you really yes. want that? Do you really value that? Or is that for the person next door? Or is that for your friends? For Mitch and I personally, we've always been, I wouldn't say smart with money, but like, I don't try and impress anyone. Like I, I like there's I love technology. I've got screens for days. I've got the newest iPads, the newest Apple Apple wallet, Apple Apple watches. And Mitch loves gym equipment, right? So like I know what I love and I, I spend and splurge decks, I enjoy it. But like people I just see mate, oh gym owners, they all have these massive Ford Rangers, 150 grand. Like I've got a Mitsubishi Triton for 38. And whenever I go to buy something, it's not coming from a place of scarcity. It's like, will I lose sleep over that? <laughs> like if I buy that car and I get a cancellation in five minutes time, will I feel differently about that purchase? Yeah. It's just like you, they back, you almost back yourself into a corner. People don't have principles around this stuff. And, and you're right. And um, it all comes down to the fact that most people also haven't been taught how to goal set properly. So the second pillar of our model once we work on the money mindset and understanding how you're intrinsically wired as a human being, we create what we call a real roadmap. And that roadmap requires us to get clear on our goals, dreams, and aspirations, both lifestyle and financial, over 20 years, which sounds really uh -huh. scary for most people, right? And when I created this exercise, because I've got ADHD, I can't defer gratification. It's just I chase the dopamine. I want everything now, right? And I struggled with it for years before I was diagnosed. And then once I was diagnosed, the, the kind of penny dropped. But what I realized is, well, okay, I'm, if I'm motivated and I've got clarity around something, I'm a dog with a bone. I will make it happen. So I created this exercise and I documented all of my goals, dreams, and aspirations over 20 years. Now, it took me months to fill it in. I sat there for four hours trying to get just one year. But yeah. through creating this space and revisiting it, 
and then continuing to map it out, continuing to work on it. I now revisit it every 90 days. And since I started doing this 10 years ago, I've achieved 90% or more of all of the goals that I've set. I've been able to create so financial like- freedom at 34. I've been able to create an animal sanctuary. We've rescued over 100 animals. I've now built an eight-figure business. I've been able to spend a year traveling around Australia in a Toyota trip carry with with my family. And I've been able to do all of these so, things. So, mate, when, when, when you say it. that, when you say that you're financially free, you have an eight-figure business, that's going to trigger people because sure. they're going to say it must be nice. And there's valleys in every story. So, Jackson, please tell me the valley. Before sure. you discovered this, before you had that roadmap, what were some of your limiting beliefs that you now can identify in your clients? I'd love to hear that story, mate. For sure. So I didn't get any silver spoons. My parents left me nothing. In fact, when I was in my mid-20s, my father was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and uh, he didn't have any insurances. He was the primary breadwinner of his household. I'd moved out by that point, but he had a homemaker wife. He had a, a school-aged daughter and basically his income come to a grinding halt with a significant mortgage. And I took on the burden of responsibility of paying that mortgage and putting food on the table and paying all of the bills. Now, over the course of the, the next few years, my father deteriorated and eventually passed away and, and left a ton of debt. Uh, at that time, I also had a business that wasn't doing well, and I found myself in a, a, a multiple six figures in bad debt. And I almost went bankrupt. And at that point in time, I had a choice. I could either hit the big red reset button and wait seven years for my record to clear and then start again, or I could make a decision to earn my way out of that situation. And that's what I chose. And it took me a couple of years, but I completely cleared that debt, got back into the black, and then I've now been able to build multi-million dollars in net wealth as a result of that. And I'm 34 years old, and that's continu- going to continue to grow. So the reality is and when you, you had, find when a you way- had that decision, sorry, sorry, when you had that decision, mm. bankruptcy or dig yourself out of the hole, like very tough question, but like what was your motivation then? Was it like, I don't want to go bankrupt. It's embarrassing. I don't want to tell my friends. My family will find out. Or was it just like, I need to fulfill my potential. I know I can do this. I've been lousy in X, Y, Z. Yeah, I think the, the critical decision for me at that point was that failure is inevitable. We all fail. And I think the unfortunate thing and the first milestone we all need to overcome is uh, overcoming this fear of failure because we are conditioned from when we are children through the school system and through how we are measured in society that we should be pursuing perfection, which is actually counterproductive in pursuit of growth, right? You actually need to fail if you're really growing because if you're not failing, you're not really growing. You're playing it safe. If you're not failing, you're not trying. Exactly. So I realized that I wasn't stupid. I just made some silly mistakes and and life had dealt me some shit cards. And I also needed to back myself because at the end of the day, I wanted to be able to say that I'd given it my all and I still wasn't good enough as opposed to allowing me to concede defeat in that situation without even really trying. And And there's only one person that knows if you actually tried and that's you. And that's, that's at night. That's the regret that you get. Correct. And that's the reason why I say that you either find a way or you find an excuse. And and I see so many people who procrastinate and they blame external factors when because they are fearful of taking personal responsibility because what if I do find out I'm not good enough? What if I do find out I'm not worthy? That's a confronting situation to be in. Um, But I was prepared to confront those demons and that has been my rocket fuel ever since. I think it's a Gary Vee quote. It's just like learning to quantify your failures. Like there's obviously bankruptcy, but then there's like 
I set that Facebook ad up, ad up wrong. <laughs> and failure feels the same regardless of the level of failure, but just identifying yeah. like, hey, that, that was silly. I'm not going to do that again. But man, like I, I've got ADHD too. <laughs> like, that drives my partner insane. But similar to you, dog with a bone, like I will figure it out. <laughs> That's it. And it's but, very, like, it's, it's even, very even typical. That, like, yeah, but even that with ADHD, like a few of my friends like have it and they use it as a crutch. Like I will forget to pick my towel off the floor because I don't care about it. <laughs> but there's other things I'm really, really, really good at. And like, it's not like they they say that they, they literally say I have a disability because you label it that way. I, I didn't think we we're going to go here, Jackson, but like nah. it's something that really bothers me, mate, because I've met so many successful people that have ADHD, like the ability to focus for long times, driven, passionate empathetic they sound like good traits to me mate correct and it's interesting one of my most successful clients and a very dear friend of mine has adhd and he exited his business for a hundred million dollars and wow it just goes to show that you either as confucius families famously said he who said he can and he who said he can't are both right so you just got to make a choice mm. and when you made that choice to i'm going to dig my way out of this I'm going to get in the black. I'm going to fulfill my potential. Did you have a mentor? Did you have a plan or did you just start failing forward? Like what was that process like to go from almost bankrupt to eight figure business, 34 years old? Yeah, I've always had mentors and my mentors have been both informal and formal to help me learn the skills that I needed to work my way out of that situation. And the interesting thing is that my whole life, I've always been very curious to pursue certain areas, right? So the idea of I've always used mentors to shortcut that curiosity to go from being completely incompetent on something to trying to master it. And I've always been very good at finding people to be able to help me shortcut that journey. And because I'm a big believer that rising tides lift all ships and you can either learn the hard way for yourself, or you can learn from somebody who's already learnt the hard way and they can shortcut that yeah. trajectory. Um, so it's just about surrounding yourself with the right people because, once again, you're the biggest limiting factor in your life, your business, and your wealth. Yeah. And if you it's want to funny, escape Jackson, that. because every single person I talk to speaks so highly of having mentors. And then people that don't have mentors think, well, of course you'd say that. You guys are coaching. You're trying to sell coaching. <laughs> like sure. That is their thought. But every single person says the same thing. And like I've had two big mentors in my life and they've ended up becoming friends. Both like, were invited to my wedding. One came and I spent three hours with a person yesterday who has a $15 million business. And just talking to him, it just completely resets everything I'm trying to do different perspective and I walk away so inspired. And if you're talking to someone who is complaining about petrol prices compared to someone who's trying to go from 15 million to 30, you're going to leave feeling very differently. And I just, man, like I've had one main mentor change my life. Yes. Change my life. Like in death, yeah. like, like literally. And I, I literally invest multi six figures a year in mentorship and coaching and professional development Um as you can see, like behind me, I've got a stack of books. I typically read two books a week. Um, so whatever you're doing, you need to expand the quality of your ideas. You need to be focusing on, on building the muscle of following through on the quality of your actions. And that, mm -hmm. in, that dictates the quality of your outcomes. Yeah. And just the quality of questions I ask you, I said, hey, mate, like we're ready. We're going to 10X the ad spend. He's like, so why don't you 50X it? I thought, probably could. <laughs> 
like it just never occurred to me so stupidly. Yeah, I said. Then I got thinking. Maybe I could. Maybe if I spent. Maybe I ten xed it in every single state in Australia. Like I'm sixty x. There you go. It expands the thinking. So, mate. Right? Yeah. When you mention helping people, the first part of your course, overcoming issues with mindset. Like, what is another tough question? Loaded. What is the number one thing that you see that just repeats itself over and over again? Yeah, the it's a self-limiting belief. And the vast majority of people who come to us label themselves as not financially minded. Like, I'm not a finance person. I'm not good at numbers. Yeah. Um, that's my accountants. Math. Yeah, I'm bad with math. Um, and what, what might be interesting is like I failed math at school. And um, it's the, the thing about money is that it's not about the numbers. It's about the story that the numbers tell. And you don't need to know math in order to be able to understand that story as long as you know how that story is made up and what to look for. And this is where we fundamentally change people's relationship with the money because it changes it from ones and zeros, these just inanimate things that most people see as being kind of like like really high frequency and exhausting to something that's actually really enjoyable. And we so see what, that can, light Can I get an example, mate? Can I, can I get a recent example of the last three months a client of yours, anonymous, of course, that had a story and you saw it straight away because you've seen it before. Like, what was that story and how did you help them overcome it? Yeah, so we've had, this is like countless situations that we've seen, but most people come to us because they've got a multi-six-figure business or a seven-figure business that was once very profitable and has now turned into a cash-eating monster and they just don't know what's happening. And they're like, wow, I had this great business and all of a sudden I'm feeling the financial pressure it seems like things have changed. I've got this burden of responsibility and I need to do something. Otherwise, this business is going to fail. Um, and they're right. Um, so the first thing that we look at is we understand, well, what is the, the story of the financial model actually telling us? Let's have a look at the profit and loss statement. And let's get an understanding of how they translate top line revenue into delivering on their product or service, into how they run their operations, and then how money falls out of the bottom. Will that help them understand their balance sheet of what's the difference between mm-hmm. their accruals of income and expenses versus the actual flow of assets and liabilities? And then we help them understand what's actually happening with their, what we call their bank balance accounting. Why is there a discrepancy between what they think they're making and what they're actually making because the bank balance yeah. never lies? What's going through Stripe first? What's in the bank? Exactly. And then when we simplify this, and then we help them understand what we call the cash flow bottlenecks, then we now can start creating a strategy because most of these people just feel hopeless and hmm. they end up, there's this kind of fear and paralysis. So once we can understand where the cash flow bottlenecks are, we can then start working to optimize the, the profitability and driving forwards. And on average, we help our clients increase their profit by about 15 to 20%. Far out. And these are million dollar companies. So that's 200,000 in the bank. Correct. So we go into, for example, a coaching business uh, and you will identify like a delivery bottleneck, like, hey, like that part of your business can be automated. That's a $5 task. Get a virtual assistant. Do you just see like like an overbloated delivery team, soft, just silly things like software fees and just all those things yeah. that add up? There's a few key things that we break it down and I call it the scale tax. And this is largely happening for coaching businesses that are growing above 30% per year. So I often find that 30% growth year on year is the sweet spot that you don't completely crush your systems. 
right? Because for every 30% growth that you have, there are core systems that will inevitably break. And what I see is the first thing is cost per acquisition in terms of paid marketing. Um, do they actually understand the cost per acquisition? Uh, what is the payback period or their break-even point on that acquisition? And that really mm. comes down to them understanding the lifetime customer value and the cash collection cycle on that particular contract. And then when we can I'm understand I'm just going to jump that, in there, mate. Like yeah, there sure. are some amazingly... There are amazing companies with big revenue that just fumbled their way into it and they don't understand CPA as a hot offer at a hot time. It's amazing. Correct. And then like, I, I love ads, mate. So then as you scale your budget, you reach a colder part of the audience, your CPA will inevitably increase and you don't even have a business. You have like a, you have a, an offer. It, it's actually amazing. Like how many businesses I see where they are reliant mm. on like, like just one thing. And the interesting thing, mate, that you we see is that they've got these existing clients, these back-end clients, and because they haven't segmented their revenue streams, they're using their back-end clients to liquidate ad spend on the front end whilst they're waiting for that to break even. And I don't know about you, but that's just kicking the tin down the road. And then when, once that shifts, once they scale aggressively and their new clients increase above and beyond their back-end, then that's where it becomes a cash-ready monster. So the second part yeah. is the delivery team is that because they're growing so quickly, they end up just having to throw people at their problems. And those people are often expensive and, and aren't efficient. So what we help them understand is, well, what is the target of what you should be spending on labor in order to deliver on your promise? Mm. And then the third part is that those, the, the biggest cash flow bottleneck that I see is that the vast majority of coaches have all of these subscriptions and things that they've signed up for that they never review. So we help them implement an, a monthly uh, expense review process, which basically they go through and work out, do I retain, do I reduce, or do I remove that expense? And yeah, typically the first time we do my this. Face, yeah, I've got a big smile on my face, Jackson, because me and Mitch do that every single month. Yeah. And I was using three streaming softwares, Riverside, StreamYard, and EVMAX. It's like, what do these do? I'm like, I don't know. I just, try, I just tried them all. Just exactly. Try them all and that's how they get you. That's how they get you, yeah, mate. And, and mate, we just forget. And, mate, yeah, and Slack is almost more expensive than our gym commercial lease. It's, it's wild how much software wow. can cost. It adds up. That's how they make their money, right? So it's yeah. so important that you're diligent. And on average, our clients, when we go through that first audit, they might say five grand a month. That, that's 60 yeah. grand a year. Um, yeah, and that's just the thing too. Like, it is literally like you, you cancel subscription. It's in profit to your bank, right. to your pocket, no cost of fulfillment. Like, exactly. It's money that you just leave on the table. Exactly. And this is why what we do is so powerful that once people know how to make money, we show them how to keep it and then how to scale it and make it work for them. And, and it's magic. It, it... So like you will go into a business, you will increase profitability by 20%. Say, keep, keep it simple, million dollar profit, extra 200K. Do you help them with where does that money go? Do you help them yes. with, hey, now is the time to scale? Now is the time to add middle management? delivery or hey like like you should probably look at getting a house for your family like how do you man that's a big that's a big decision like that, that's a certain level of trust i'd have in you man definitely so i'll run you through how we do it so once we've got that 20 year roadmap which should not include any business goals okay it's purely what you're trying to achieve as an individual the house you want to live in the car you want to drive the holidays you want to go on the passive income that you ultimately want that'll give you freedom and flexibility um school you want to send the kids to, all of these other things, right? And we actually reverse engineer that into an income target. So I can say, hey, this is exactly how much you need to earn in order for you to achieve all of these, these goals and aspirations. 
And then we work out, okay, well, what does the financial model of the business need to look like to allow you to A, pay yourself that amount of income by way of salary and profit distributions? And B, based on what you're trying to achieve in terms of your ambitions to grow and scale your business, how much excess profit we would need to then reinvest back into growth. Now, Mm. it's my view that for a good business, it should be able to fund its own growth. You should not be stealing from your future self um, in order to fund that growth. And what that tells me is that for the vast majority of business owners who are reinvesting back into their business, it is the most common excuse that I see for money mismanagement. It's because they haven't budgeted. They haven't forecasted. Yeah. And that is the best thing about being a service-based business. Like, let's just say that you do organic, you fulfill one of one. Like, where is that money going? Like, like that, it, it, like, it, it actually amazes me just like people, like, I look, when I go to restaurants, Jackson, Jackson I look at the fit out and I think that cost a million dollars. And you've got kids on the internet printing a hundred grand, like, put the money in the bank or, or distribute exactly. it well, wisely. And this is the problem, right? I see so many businesses, particularly coaches, they get addicted to the growth of their business. They love their business and they look for their, to their business for kicks, for satisfaction. And if you look at any of the best entrepreneurs in the world, they are unemotional about their business. They are cold about their business because their business is a vehicle. It's a vehicle for creating impact, yes, but it's a vehicle for creating wealth and it should not we should not be reinvesting back into that business at the detriment of your wealth. So I always prioritize personal wealth building outside of the business. Do you think it's fair to say that business owners identify with their revenue number? Identify with the ClickFunnels award behind people? Their their ego is the main factor of their gratification they get from their business. And in many cases to their own detriment and, the, this is a big thing that we try and disconnect their their personal identity from their business because here's the risk, right? You continue to do this. You use your business as the dopamine dump to fuel your 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 self worth and how, how your ego, right? Now you do sell, get to your business one stage that you want to sell it, and now it's gone. You've basically sold a big chunk of yourself. The amount mm. of business owners that I've seen do that and fall into a deep, dark depression and in some cases never come back from that is crazy. Yeah. So we Man, need to- for years, it, and years, for years and years, mate, I identified as Mr. Breakthrough Active because I still own two mm. gyms and like gyms going well, I'm a good human being. Gyms going bad, I'm a bad human being. And I absolutely took it home and it affected my relationship with Ellen. So mate, like it's just- uh, it took me. It's 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 not. It's once again. It's so simple to do. Detach yourself from the business, but it's so hard to like. Uh, I don't know. That, that's just that 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 hit that hit me hard, Jackson, because that was me. I get you. And so many people are like this. And here's the thing. This is what it comes down to. Let's go back to mindset for a second. One of the most foundational mindset principles is what's called loss aversion bias, and it goes back tens of thousands of years to when. We've, we were in caves, right? Is that we were resource guarders. We, had, we did, weren't guaranteed to have a roof over our head or food on the table. So for that reason, when we had resources, we needed to guard them fiercely because our life depended on it. So it's been proven that as a human being, we feel the emotion of loss twice as significantly as the emotion of gain. 
So when we create things, we manufacture things like our business. We've built it up, the blood, sweat, and tears, the, the energy and effort that we've put into it. We want to hold on to that as part of our identity because it's ours. Now, if we want to get beyond that, it requires thousands of ego deaths, okay? It hurts, right? Mm-hmm. But everything good in life does, doesn't it, right? If you go to the gym and you're doing reps, you need to feel that pump, right? It hurts, but it's good. And this is no different. So in order for us to overcome this, we need to put twice as much effort in the reason why we're moving towards the gain, because we acknowledge that this is not healthy. We acknowledge reinvesting back into our business isn't going to get us where we want. We acknowledge that the emotional equity we place on our business is far greater than what it's really worth. So Mm. if we want to move beyond that, we need to make sure we're putting all of that extra energy, twice as much energy into the reasons why we're planning for this future. And this is where my motto was born, live for today and plan for tomorrow. And that's what our entire philosophy is built on. Yeah. I'm in about 100 gyms at the moment, mate, just helping with their marketing, helping their sales, doing it for them. And I go into some businesses, mate, and they have enormous member numbers. I'm talking like three, 400 in a boutique studio, and they make less than 20 grand a year because of like the rent because of the the, yeah. the 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 cool fit out because of like they actually I just it's a crazy thing man but like people want to be cool more than they want to be wealthy and then at some time at some point wolf of wall street quote mate the chickens come home to roost it it's right and look in actual fact there's nothing wrong with any of those things that you've mentioned the big issue that they've got is that they don't want to put up their prices for their existing members because they made a promise to foundation members that they'd never put up the price or they want to be accepted by those members of not being price gougers. But the reality is that as a result of the business model that you've just described, they have implemented a universal tax that have come out of their pocket, and Mm -hmm. it's their choice. And if only they could understand that, okay, you can have an amazing business, you can achieve wealth, you can pay yourself what you're worth, you can actually continue to sustain that business because if you go broke, you're not helping any of those people, right? Yeah. And all that requires you to do is to put up your price. And we help them rationalize that and come to terms with the fact that putting up their price, most of the – we've actually seen in situations with many gyms, that they put up the price and their members thank them. It's mind-blowing. Yeah, it's just – it's crazy, mate. Like we, Every single person I talk to is just like, what can I do to monogram my business? I'm like, send this exact email that we send to our members every 12 months, that we're increasing your price in line with NIB, in line with Booper, in line yes. with fucking Netflix. It makes like, sense. Like, and it's just, yeah, it's a fear around, I guess, rejection, fear around what if they leave. I say it all the time, Jackson. I say the person that popped into your head when you thought they're going to be pissed off, you actually don't want them in your gym anyway. Like you want no. them to leave. Exactly. And it's a simple math equation. If you increase it by 5%, you got 100 members and one leaves, you win. You're net better off. And we've actually done the maths on this, mate. So for a typical gym, if they increase price by 10%, they can afford to lose 13% of their member base and make the same amount of money. And in my experience, Mm. through working with thousands of service-based business owners of all shapes and sizes, there is always an asymmetrical return, meaning that that 10% increase, they might lose 2 or 3%, if that, of their client base, which means that they are net better off. Yeah. And if they're good at marketing, good at sales, they've actually got more room in their gym now. And the Correct. room they've created in their gym is going to be higher paying members. Bang on. So exactly mate, right. 
What do you say to a gym owner who buys from their own wallet? It's one of the biggest things that I experience, mate, every single day. Like, oh, I can't increase my price to 60. I would never pay that. Mm. I yeah, it's interesting. I would never pay a personal trainer. I, I, would, never, I would never sign a contract. Although I would never invest in a coach. They're all scammers. Like yeah. you are a coach. Like you are a coach. Exactly. And it's interesting how that manifests, right? I had a mentor who said to me one day, he said, Jackson, um, how, you, how you consume is how you will be consumed. And this is the reason why I've hired coaches that cost me 100 grand a year. Uh, I've invested in huge amounts in my professional and personal development. Um, I used to be a bit of a Scrooge. I used to be a, a bit of a dick into the sales process. But once I had learned that lesson, I go, nah, fuck that. I'm not negotiating with anybody anymore. I'll go through their process and, and whatever they say, I pay. Because reciprocated in a position, I never want somebody to have to do that to me, right? So mm. for all of those people, because of those beliefs that they hold, that is exactly what will show up in their life and their business. Because they yeah. wouldn't pay that increased price, their clients won't because those are the kinds of people they'll attract. Yeah, because they can sense the incongruency. If you're with your members and you go to the coffee shop next door and say, they just put their prices up, I don't like that. You don't have a leg to stand on. Exactly. Exactly. We even do this with our team, right? Is that we say, hey, like, if you want to keep good people, you need to put the, the price up, uh, you need to put their salaries up. And I teach my clients, I go, okay, well, tell your team members that if they want to increase of their pay, show them what they would need to do in the business in order for that to be a great investment for you as the business owner and you'll share in that with them. And then I tell mm. my team members exactly the same thing. So if my team members want to raise, I say, hey, this is exactly what you've got to do in the business in order to substantiate that increased income. Are you prepared to do it? Do you think you can? Yep, great, beautiful, let's do it. So once mm. again, you're right, this is all about congruency. How you show up in the world and how you consume is how you will be consumed. Yeah. Mate, when you have a gym owner or a service-based business owner, you work with thousands of them and they've got a great business, a stable business that is consistently pumping out the same number of profits. So it isn't a fad. It isn't a hot offer and they're printing money. Another loaded question. How do you tell them to invest in their, back to your roadmap, of course, mm. but do you have like checkpoints along the way? Like, like how do you, like at X amount of profit, you invest this, like what's that look like? Yeah, great question. So first things first, once we've created the roadmap, our aim is to start deploying investments at the first possible opportunity. It doesn't need to be a lot. Now, let's talk a little bit about what you can invest in. If you look throughout history, there are basically only three ways to build wealth predictably in this world. And one of those things isn't Bitcoin, okay? <laughs> one is business. You build a valuable business that has intrinsic value that you can sell for a multiple of profitability. Or you acquire other businesses and you use that to build your wealth. I've now done, I think I've done 12 acquisitions now. Buying businesses is a big part of our strategy. Second is property. You want to buy as much good quality blue chip property as you possibly can. This is not speculative property in mining towns. We want to buy good quality property to the, whatever we can afford in desirable areas where people want to live long term. And thirdly, we invest in the stock market. And we don't stock pick, but we invest in index funds and ETFs because this is a low-cost way for us to bet on a market as opposed to an underlying company. 
And the great thing about yeah. it is we can start with with really small amounts of money. In some cases, a couple of hundred dollars, right? Yeah, so now, I'll, I'll just be transparent. That's like, So I have sure. a mortgage on my house. I almost own it. I have an investment property um, and I invest in the ASX. Beautiful. And the reason why I've chosen the AS, the reason why I've chosen the ASX is because like like I love business so much that I, I don't want to put energy and effort into building wealth outside. I just know nine percent, do it. Twenty go. years, I'm good. And, and and it may not be like I need to talk to you, of course. It may not be the best way, but like for me, it just it's it's peace of mind, which is what I yes. think is important too. And that's that's so important, right? It's exactly what I do. And the reason for it is because if you go to what's called the SPIVAT report, S P I V A. And what it will show you is the percentage of active professional fund managers who are able to outperform the index after fees and taxes. And the scary thing is that over a 15-year period of time, less than 20% of professional active managers outperform the market. So if they can't do it and they do it for a living, what makes any person think that they can do it? They they must be out of their mind. So I would prefer to get the average of whatever the market does. Yeah, so Jackson, I'd love to expand on the ASX and S&P in particular. Sure. Like, and what an index fund and ETF fund is, because it's what we invest in. And the way I've kind of described it to people is I'm betting on Australia. I'm betting on that Australia continues to prosper and I don't pick and choose. Because like, if you you pick one or two or three stocks and they're bad, it can ruin five, 10 years of investing. And it's those last 10 years, he's 60 to 70, where all, the, where all the growth is. Exactly, yes. So let me describe this really simply. So an index is a combination of all of the companies that exist in a market. So the ASX 300 is the top 300 companies in Australia. And let's say you had $1,000. I thought it was 200. No, so the ASX 300 is the top 300 companies. There's also the ASX 200. And there are indexes. Oh, okay, okay, cool. Okay. So... Let's say it's the ASX 300, top 300 companies, and you invested $1,000. You would have the biggest slice of the biggest company, which at the moment is CBA, and then you have a little slither of the 300th company. And then you would get the average Mm. of however those 300 companies perform. And the great thing about it is that out of those 300 companies, there's going to be companies that do really well, some that do crap and move out of the 300, which will be replaced by others, some that will do average. But you are guaranteed to get the average of however those companies perform. Now, let me give you a little bit of an example. Over a 50-year period of time of looking at the US stock market, the S&P 500, over 70% of the companies in that S&P 500 went bankrupt. Hmm. 70%. So this just goes to and show... That's, and, and that's a scary number, and that's why investing in the stocks is risky. Exactly. And it's risky if you speculate. If you use tried-and-true strategies that have been tested over time, you can drastically reduce your risks and you can get the average of whatever the market does. And we can actually automate these strategies. For all of our clients, we have this set on autopilot. And then every 90 days, we review the amount that they contribute in. Now, I want to circle back to your original question. Your original question was, well, a business owner, they're doing well, they're making cash. When do we do this? The aim of the game is we want to try and build a war chest in the business first. So I believe that all businesses should have three months of cash to expenses. Mm. And we want to work on a plan to get to there. In many cases, we start investing beforehand, but we at least have a plan to get to that three months of cash to expenses. So for example, if it runs your, it costs you 50 grand a month to run your gym, we want to try and build up 150 grand in cash. Mm. And then we work on trying to accumulate as much in index funds and buy as many properties as we possibly can over that 20-year period of time. 
Can I just jump in back to the S&P, mate? 70% sure. of companies went bankrupt. I'd love for you to just to expand on why it would still continue to go up and why it would still continue to grow because I don't think many people realize that companies yeah. would drop out of there, but then Apple starts to surge. Correct. Exactly. So the interesting thing about the index is that think about it like we're running a race. And let's use the S&P. It's a race of 500 companies. And let's say there's 1,000 companies in the race. It's actually more like 3,000 companies, but let's just keep it simple and say 1,000. And let's say that the first 500 are ones that get, a, get ribbons, okay? So if you're in that 500 spot and you drop to 501, you don't get a ribbon anymore. Mm, and then whoever was in that, that 501st spot and gets to the 500th spot, they now get a ribbon. And that's constantly changing in each and every single day. And then that's what produces the average. And we've seen over time, typically speaking, the S&P 500 has done about 10.5%. Yeah. And 10.5% doesn't sound like a lot, but people invest into an anytime fitness for 2 million and what 9% return. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, and, and 10% and compounded just, just over the confer- long term. Oh, man. I just love to just keep it simple for the audience. So just say that you have a million dollars invested into the S&P 500 and you're 50 years old and it produces 10.5%, you're going to make $150,000 of profit. That almost sounds like it doesn't exist or it's not possible or it's illegal or you have to be a stockbroker, but that is literally like how it works. And you can say that to you blue in the face and people aren't going to do it. And so the reason you- why they won't do it is because it's not, it doesn't relate back to them. It's not real, as you rightly said. It doesn't seem real. And this is where we need to bring it into context. So I've actually developed a whole heap of resources that I'm going to give you listeners for free. And one of which is going to be what we call a financial freedom forecast. So one of my biggest frustrations in the advice space has been that most financial advisors have proprietary tools in-house that in order for you to do this, this, this financial modeling and this road mapping that you need to work with them and they do all of the number crunching for you. I've developed my own tool and it's really simple. It's in Google Sheets. And what it allows you to do is to plug in your current situation Put in what your goals are for creating financial freedom. Put some assumptions in in terms of your risk tolerance and uh, how much you can contribute towards wealth. And then what it will actually tell you is what's your current trajectory? How much wealth are you going to be able to get? And then what you would need to do in order to bridge that gap if there is a gap between your current trajectory and where you need to be. So it's called the Financial Freedom Mm. Forecast tool. And I've got a whole stack of other tools that uh, will help you guys uh, improve Mm. your finances both personally and in your business. So if you go to wealthhealthcheck.com.au, that's wealthhealthcheck.com.au, you'll get those resources. And I've also got a 40-point financial performance scorecard so you can evaluate yourself and see where you need to focus your attention. What is the biggest thing people waste money on, Jackson? Quick fire question. The biggest thing they waste money on, it's actually not big stuff. It is compounding small stuff that adds up that they feel is insignificant in isolation, but when added together, taxes them thousands of dollars, in some cases tens of thousands of dollars a month. It's the little things that you go, ah, it doesn't matter. And because you just shrug your shoulders to it, it just allows there to seep your surplus, which could be going towards wealth. And frankly, most of these things don't even add any value to your life. So this is why people need structure. And it's the lack of structure that turns their bank account into a sieve and money just disappears. I'm guilty of it, mate. Like we can get a client for $1,000 or save $1,000. One, I celebrate. One, I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Well, exactly. It's just, it's a different level of dopamine. Exactly. And this is why we set up these boring structures that are set and forget. 
and it ensures that it solves those problems for you, assuming you've got the structure in place. I'd love to ask you a personal question. You can tell me to not ask this question. What is your roadmap, mate? What is your, your wealth goal? What is your impact goal? And what are you trying to accomplish in your 20-year roadmap that you evaluate every 90 days? Yeah, so great news is, as I already mentioned, I've created financial freedom. My dream was to create, uh, to buy my dream home, to create an animal sanctuary and to be able to pursue my passion project of uh, helping uh, animals in need. And I've been able to do that. We've been uh, up here on our 70 acre property for three and a half years now. Prior to that, we spent a year traveling around Australia in a four wheel drive, which was a bucket list item that we've ticked off. And uh, we've been able to, to create this amazing space. And this is the interesting thing. This, the, this is about determining the difference between enough and extra. I have enough. I could retire today if I wanted to, but I never will, right? Because I love what I do. So my extra, my next big milestone over the next five years is building a $100 million business. And it's not for the money. I don't need the money, but it's the level of impact that I will create, the amount of lives that I change, and the people that we help along the way as the byproduct of that being $100 million. Um, so yeah. that's what I'm passionate about. Um, but that's the financial goal. And uh, it's just a matter of working on how do we continue to, to scale our impact yeah. and, uh, and help more business owners create financial freedom. And mate, you look really happy. It's a huge compliment if you're happy. I, I guess you would yeah. see people in a people are in nine to five. They don't like their job. They don't like their work. They don't like their business. They're not making money. And your reality, what you live today, seems like it's so far away. And you turned it around pretty quick. And every successful person I have on this podcast, no disrespect, you're not smarter than them. I'm not smarter than you. Like we're all two arms, two legs. We breathe oxygen. It is our willingness to learn, to have mentors, to humble ourselves, to lose the ego, and just to make that choice that you made a few years ago. Like, I can either go bankrupt or I can become the wealth creation coach, open the animal, animal century. I rescued two dogs, mate. I love that so much. It's so cool. And create a $100 million company which impacts the lives of others. So, mate, that's truly, truly inspiring. And it's good fun, right? It's just, I think the, the killer of dreams is the burden of responsibility. So it's, it's about you making the choice of the burdens that you want to carry and uh, whether you, what you will allow to kill or enable your dreams. Um, so hopefully people can take some wisdom from that. Two quick questions, mate. What is the number one misunderstood thing about wealth creation? People think it's far more complicated than what it is. It's like health coaches trying to disguise it. It's a calorie deficit at the end of the day. Exactly. What's one question I should have asked you that I didn't ask you? Good question. I think we've covered it pretty well, mate. I think you've done well. One more question then, mate. <laughs> I want to end on, end on a great note. Who's your, who's your number one Who's your favorite unpaid mentor you've ever had in your life? Uh, don't know him personally, but has been a, a mentor uh, nonetheless, uh, Marcus Aurelius. You can see the book there, Meditations. Um, it's been one of the most profound books that I've ever read. And uh, it's something that I try and practice every day is the, the art of stoicism. I'm currently writing my next book on, uh, on the seven-figure stoic, uh, which is all about bringing uh, old ancient stoic principles into the modern day for entrepreneurs building wealth. So uh, yeah, Marcus Aurelius. Yeah, uh, absolutely. That's amazing. Legend. 
some of those stoic quotes, like they're so simple in principle, hard to execute. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's amazing. I Man, I really, really appreciate your time. Episode fifty, last guest for season one. Thank you so much. Wealth, what was that website, mate? It's wealthhealthcheck.com.au. Yeah. I'll tag you in the post, mate. You can drop everything in the comments below, mate. I'm going to do Beautiful. my 40 point financial review and see what I can prove on, mate. Thanks so much. My absolute pleasure. Mate, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it.